Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Robbie talking about the sermon from September 27th, 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I am Jay, your host, and joining me is Robbie. Hello, everyone. Glad that you guys are listening. You didn't sound very enthusiastic there. I didn't? No. Hey, everyone. Glad you're all listening. Oh, that's my... That's what it sounds like. melancholy voice. Hey, everybody. Glad that you guys are listening. Hey. Thanks for joining us. 98.6. That's the... <laughs> I, I feel like I missed my calling in that. I that's, could have been totally the shock jock. It's a healthy temperature. 98... <laughs> There's got to be a good slogan for that. Why aren't rock, more rock stations 98.6? Well, that's, is, that a, is that a good slogan? I mean, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could come up with something. Hey, we we have important things to talk about, Robbie. We don't have time to talk about uh, radio slogans for fake rock stations. That's true. But we do have some good stuff today. I think we do. But the first thing that we have to deal with, we have another elephant in the room. Uh, I love Am I those. using that right? Am I using this right? Okay, we got we we had a really good question for this week, but we also had a concern that was thrown out there. Okay. Robbie, one of our listeners, and and if there's one commenting, then there's probably more there, but feels like um, maybe I have, that you are the victim of some verbal bullying. <laughs> and uh, I might be a, they're concerned a about you. an overstatement. Well, they're concerned about you. They're concerned that maybe I make fun of you too much. I appreciate, I appreciate their concern. Yeah. Yeah, I told them that I don't make fun of you enough. Hmm. Because that seems unkind. If they knew how ridiculous you actually were, then they would know <laughs> if, that I'm if quite restrained. Knew. If they, they only knew. only knew. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah. So how different yeah. I am once I stop recording? Right. Running around the halls, throwing rants, throwing fits of rage. Right. Have you seen my salad? Like all that stuff. You just good callback. That was a good callback for people who haven't listened. People who are brand new to the podcast have no idea what's going on right now. Nope. But so, Robbie, could you just assure all the people? Could you comfort the listeners out there and tell them that not only do I not make fun of you, but also tell them that I am actually the greatest coworker, and really, it's the, it's a joy to do the podcast with me. And if you could just let everybody know that, I believe they refer to that as leading the witness. Feeding, feeding well, uh, the line. I mean, perhaps I'm. I was just trying to help you because sometimes you struggle to put your thoughts into words. Hmm. That. <laughs> that wow. Do you, I, see, do you see what I, I did there? I feel like I should have <laughs> seen that coming, but was legitimately <laughs> blindsided by that. Just That's moseying hard to right out into the street. <laughs> That's hard to blindside you. Usually, you, you are. That's that is oh, actually Jay, quite difficult. You're just waving at me in a friendly way from the other side <laughs> of the street. I'll, I'll go join him over there. Bus. Bus. Boom. Um, I I apologize. No, it is. Worry, fret not. It is all it is all good natured. I don't. I promise. I don't cry myself to sleep after recording each of these podcasts. Often. You know what's interesting is last week Jeff filled in for you and yeah. I, which was great and. But I thought in my head, I thought, oh, uh, it'll be funny to bring that up and just talk about how Jeff is walking into that. But I could not, I couldn't even muster 
Jeff is just so earnest and so kind that I I just couldn't even huh. I couldn't even give him a hard time. That's a it's an interesting interesting backhanded dig you just gave me right there. I am I'm, now you're just being oversensitive. <laughs> I think that how long we've known each other means I think that that's fair. Uh, I think that, that's fair. I just <laughs> plus yeah you are a you're 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 a sharp witted fellow. So yeah, I, it, was, it was difficult to treat Jeff that way because he's kind. Right. That's what I said. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, heard, I yeah. heard that. No, even I wasn't sure about it, but you just repeating it back to me affirmed that. that okay. Confirmed good. that is, that's what I meant. All right. Good. Well, well in let's, that case, thank that you case, listeners for your support. Yes. The, the listeners are for you, Robbie. <laughs> they are for you. If we, if we were a presidential debate, they would leave for you. Don't talk about that. We're not allowed to talk about We're that. We're not allowed to talk about that. Okay. I won't talk about that. You know what you should talk about is the sermon from this last week. Sure. I thought it was really strong. And um, in, in all seriousness, I thought I thought there were a lot of really great things. And I just, so I thought it'd be good. I want to call out a couple of things, ask for, you know, maybe some clarification or just, just some stuff that I thought was really impactful. And then I know we have a, a question from the listeners, which is fantastic. Love those. So we are going to get to that. But the first thing that I thought really jumped out at me was you were talking about how ra- how often rather than confor- being conformed to the image of Jesus, that we conform Jesus to our own image. And you specifically were talking about how the enemy plays into that. And you had this interesting quote. You said that the enemy always begins by affirming me. Do you want to yeah. – I, I just would love to hear some more – Examples, because you didn't have time in that message to go into all the examples of that. But what's going through your mind when when you say that? I mean, the first the first two examples that come to my mind is that that's precisely Satan's tactic. We get to watch him at work in in Genesis chapter three in the garden, and then again in the Gospels in the temptation of Jesus, and and in both of those contexts, his his approach is. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't come at them like a bully, right? He comes at them like a buddy. Um, I didn't mean for that to sound, that so, really good. sound so cute, but that is like that's his approach. His approach is is kind of sliding up and being like, "Yeah, that that is the worst, man. That fruit looks delicious. Why would he not let you do that? You 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 know you'd probably be even smarter if you did that. Like it's all affirming uh, who who they can be without without the father." Right, and then the same thing effectively is what he's doing with Jesus, right? Like you're great. Like says that if you jump off a temple, like the angels will just protect you. Like you don't even need the Father, right? Just come with me. Like you're you're good on your own. We can we can do this together. It's it's all starting with affirming what what I'm capable of uh, without God, right? He's affirming my own self righteousness. He's feeding my own self justification and and. And that's what makes it so tricky is it's, it's comforting in all the wrong ways, right? It's, a, it's affirming in all the wrong ways and saying, no, 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 you're right. You're great. And, and you know, you don't need to die to yourself. Like you, like you deserve all, all the good things and, and just taps into um, the, the worst part of my heart. Yeah. And I think it, it's so foundational that it is it is the number one trick that the enemy uses and it's so foundational that you see it represented just in culture all the time. I mean it is it is cartoonishly 
predictable that if you're going to set up, if you have a goofy movie and you're going to set up someone being taken advantage of by like a shady salesman or whatever the case is, they're going to start with, you look like a smart guy. You right. look like a person who's well put together, who right. knows their stuff. And we're all watching that going, oh, brother, holy cow. Why, how do you not see through that? Right. Well, because we don't see through it when it happens to us. Exactly. And so when the enemy is telling me, you you don't deserve what just happened to you, it sounds reasonable to us. It sounds like, yeah, you're right. And and before we know it, we're buying into all kinds of other things that are uh, that are overt, overtly destructive because we listened to that voice mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are we saying then, Robbie, are you saying that all affirmation therefore is wrong? And so anytime someone affirms you, <laughs> that then they must be a tool of the enemy. <laughs> that's why. So, so there yeah, you go. No, There's the defense. It's a great question. It's a because great question. That that allows me. That that's why I give you a hard time because I am not going to be used by the enemy to affirm you. There you go. You're way wow. Way to spin that. That was good. That's good. That was that. You were you were a wordsmith. <laughs> hey, um, I I take that back. That was too affirming. That was. Uh, no, I mean obviously that would be absurd, right? So you don't you don't avoid one ditch by jumping into the opposite ditch. So the the issue I, I would argue is is motivation and what is it that you are affirming, right? So so on the uh, the heart level side, the motivational side, um, what's what's driving that? And and then from the very practical side. What are you pointing out in there? You you asked me earlier how how would I differentiate between how does God affirm me and how does Satan affirm me? And and the distinction I would make there is God affirms me by constantly reminding me who I am in Him. Right? I am His child. I am made in His image. I am an object of His love, and that I can have confidence because I am secure in Him. Versus the enemy who is constantly affirming all that I am capable of without him, mm. why I don't mm-hmm. need him, why I can be self-dependent, why I am right and everyone else is crazy and I don't need others. All of the things, like everything that he affirms separates me from God and others, while everything that God affirms in me and the way that he affirms draws me closer to both him and to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and even draws me closer to those who are far from God, because the way God affirms me is not, look how much better you are than them, but look at what I am able to do in a sinful person like you. Imagine what I can do in that other person. And it actually draws me closer even to my enemies in that. Yeah, that's good. I I think that this is a hard thing because I think a lot of the way that I tend to battle and, and be on guard against those tools of the enemy, I do it in a way that also denies me the comfort and love and mercy of my father. Yes. Yeah. So I'll say, if I start to think like, man, I, um, I don't, I don't, I don't. If I think I don't deserve something, or if I, if I'm wounded by how somebody um, treated me, well, the way. The way that I try to fight that in my own strength then is saying like, well, what do I think I deserve? Like I deserve far worse than that. Well, okay. On one hand, yes, you can make that argument, but that's not how the father affirms me. So so I can't picture that if someone slanders me or says something harsh to me and and it bothers me and hurts me, 
my father isn't sitting there going, well, you deserve a lot worse than that. Right. Like that's not, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that your identity isn't in what that person is saying to you. Right. Your identity is, is hidden in me. And this is how I loved you. I loved you while you were still a sinner and I have redeemed you and adopted you and called you my own. And so that's, so, so that's the affirmation that our heavenly father gives us, like you said, reminding us of who we are in him. And that then allows us, that encourages us and gives us strength and and grace and peace to walk through those harder situations, Hmm. um, as opposed to just trying to handle it in my own strength, which is then to convince myself that I'm a worthless worm who deserves being slandered all the time. (laughs) Right, which is, which is, I think one of one of the, uh, one of the downsides or one of the mis missteps of uh, a lot of the Reformation was kind of going that route and going well because it's all grace that means I am in every way worthless and the worst, but I mean Jesus himself in gives parables that imply like things of great value can still be lost. And the fact that they mm-hmm. are lost does not in any way diminish their value, mm-hmm. right? The lost coin that the widow is looking for, she's looking for it not so that it will have value again once it's found. She's looking for it mm. because it is yeah. intrinsically valuable. So when when we're talking about affirmation, part of it is I am I'm a I don't want to inadvertently talk you into believing your value is dependent on something temporary, right? Or mm-hmm. something fleeting, something cultural, something, some circumstance, right? Like you, because you're so smart, because you're such a good person, because you've had these hard things that happened to you. Like if I convince you that is your value, well, that is constantly changing versus my value is, as God continually reminds us as a gracious father, is unchangeable regardless of circumstances, regardless of your choices. You are made in my image. You are my child. You are an object of my love. You have value no matter how lost you are, no matter how dirty you get. That does not change the intrinsic value that we have as as being made in the Imago Dei, as being adopted by the Father, as or or not yet adopted by by the Father in in the sense of someone who is who is truly lost. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I, don't. I think I think that you had mentioned earlier that looking to the motives too, and the first thing that popped into my head when I thought, okay, what's the difference between when the enemy is affirming me and when the father is affirming me? Because what we're talking about so far is, okay, how do you discern that voice, and how do you know, like, is it okay to, you know, to to affirm somebody and tell them that um, that they're doing well or that they're, you know, we've. I remember for a long time really hating to hear the phrase, um, like, oh, he's a good guy. And from a theological point of view, you can say, well, no one is good but the Father. Why do you call me good? But that's not – Jesus' point in saying that is not don't ever call someone good. He's saying he's he's dealing with a sp- specific situation with the religious leaders and who they thought he was and why, why would they re- refer to him in this way. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't speak to someone's character or we can't affirm godly traits that we see in them or ways in which they are displaying the image of God and, and celebrate those things. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, there, there's a, there's an important distinguishing 
difference there in learning to discern, okay, is this is this affirming my need and my identity in Christ, or is it affirming my lack of need for him? Yeah. But but the other thing, sometimes it's really obvious, and it's I, I deal with Christians all the time or people who are investigating Christianity and they look at scripture and they see something in scripture that they say, well, I know I know the Bible says this, but I don't agree with that, or I just think that sounds too hard, or I don't think that seems right. And so at those moments, it's important to remind ourselves that the motives behind what the enemy is doing and what God is doing is made really clear. Jesus obviously makes it really clear in, in the Gospel of John when he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the big picture view of this is the enemy affirms you to destroy you. Yes. He's setting you up like the shady salesman who is affirming the person. You look like a smart guy who knows what you're doing. His whole goal is self-serving and does not care, and, and he's looking to meet his own desires. And the desire of Satan is to kill and destroy. But the desire of God is to give life and give it abundantly. And so... That's why when God affirms, it's good, and why when Satan affirms, it's evil. How's that for a... It's a good summary. That's a good I summary. Like it. All right, let's move on. There's another question, another thing that you said that I thought was really good, and I'm wondering how many people, like what people thought of it. But you were pointing out in Colossians where it talks about all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. And you made a specific point to say it doesn't say that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in the Bible. And I thought that was really interesting because in our cultural context and in the evangelical church, uh, especially in Baptistic traditions, we can often paraphrase things like that and talk about how the Bible is the source of all wisdom and yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important like one, you 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 mentioned in your sermon what the difference is, and I thought it was so it was such an impactful thing talking about your hometown and how you can study about it, but you don't know. And I, of course, remember the what it smells like in that slide, which I kind of knew because I thought, oh, we had a slide like that, <laughs> um, but that particular one has a particular odor, yep. and you know it and know it in a way that I never could by studying about it or reading about it, and so. That experience and obedience is that missing link. That's the yeah. that's the missing yeah. piece. That's the third dimension that doesn't come from just reading the scriptures. So why why do you think that is so important for us to understand today? I think it's so important because it's so it's it is alarmingly easy to construct a rhythm of life. Or, or rhythm of ministry, even that that you have that you believe is based on the Bible, that is in direct opposition to Jesus, mm-hmm. and and that's a problem. <laughs> like I'm like I'm using the tool incorrectly at that point. Like that's the equivalent of uh, I love hammers. Hammers are great because they're fantastic at smashing people on the head. Like you should say, well, you're, wait a minute, that's supposed to be used for creating and, and building, you know, creating things like shelter and fun things. And you are using it in a nefarious fashion. Um, I just think it's, I think it's so important because if, if I am using 
the Bible appropriately, then that means I, I am listening to the Jesus whom it is all about. And what Jesus is constantly saying in the Bible is, you know that you love me when you obey my commandments. You, they will know that you love me by the way that you love one another. And, and there's this sense of it is, it's in following him, not in following scripture. It's in walking in the way that he walked, not just knowing everything there is to know about this particular book. And, and it's, it's such a slippery, a slippery slope because you can feel like you are doing the thing while completely avoiding the thing, right? Because we've, we have created in Christianity this idea that just having the intention to do the thing counts as doing the thing. Hmm. So if we say, well, yeah, I read the Bible and it says I should love my enemy. I, I can certainly see a scenario that I would intend to, you know, I intend to, should God ever put me in that position, I, I agree intellectually with the idea that I should do that. And, and we think that checks the box of actually doing it. Doesn't and that's it's the, the the Bible that we are that we are reading says we don't we we love in action not just in word and deed and in, in, in or and not just in word but in deed and truth and so in in saying I just I know all the right information and and should the opportunity ever arise I fully intend to to do that um, cannot by any circumstances be considered actual obedience because the reality is we daily have opportunities to do that daily day in and day out and if i'm not actively doing that thing then then jesus could rightfully confront me and say why do you call me lord lord and not do any of the things that i told you right so i think that so clearly obedience is a is is a major piece there but i'm also thinking the feel of it. So you'd said it doesn't, um, I forget what the other phrase that you said, but you said it says taste and see that the Lord is good. Does it? Oh yeah. I love, um, I love that phrase so yeah. much. It's such a beautiful, turns out the Holy Spirit chooses words well. Right. And I just love, it doesn't say learn and see that the Lord is good. It says taste. And I just, I love taste uses all of the other senses, right? Like you see the food and that gives you a certain sensation and you're smelling it as it's going and you're chewing it and you're feeling all of the textures, like all, everything is active. You hear the crunch that, that sometimes, um, like, man, sometimes I just like eating something because the crunch, like, and, and, and hearing, hearing that. And, uh, my, my kids and I love like sneaking up on one another and then crunching like a an exceptionally crunchy chip or carrot <laughs> in each other's ears. And and Sounds weirdly hideous. it makes you go, man, I feel like some potato chips now. Like so like everything gets involved in that. It's so it's so visceral and and I just I love so much that that is the picture that the spirit uses to say like everything that you have goes into this. Every aspect of experiencing this is required for you to truly understand how good this God is. No book, even the one inspired by the Spirit, will ever accomplish what genuinely experiencing the very real, very alive creator God of the universe in, in its fullness 
will give us. That's why when I die and I live by sight and no longer by faith, I'm, I don't need the Bible anymore. Like there will be a time when we don't need the Bible anymore because I have Jesus. And so I right. don't need the shadow anymore. I have, I have the real. And, and so he, he claims rather boldly that we can have a degree of access to him right now. And, and why would I settle for something significantly less? And I think a, a, a practical way that this plays out is the difference between valuing conclusions and valuing kind of heart or the, the feel of a thought process. Mm, yeah, so yeah, so an example would be, you know, I've used this example before with Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. But there's a difference between having the conclusion that adultery is sin and then being in a situation ministering to someone who has been caught in adultery in the way that Jesus did. Yeah. There's there's yeah. And and we just tend to be in a society where all we care about are conclusions. Which boxes have you checked? What do you think about this? But that's not you you don't get the full picture. That's why we have the incarnation. You know, if if we could just know the check boxes and hear the stances on all the things well, then we wouldn't need God to become flesh and walk among us. And I think you, we see that one example that came to mind was in, in Acts 4 when Peter and John are brought before the council. And mm-hmm. they're told, you, what, are you, what are you doing? You can't, you can't speak right. in this way. And what you see is you can read about that, but then – do you have the feel for how are they actually approaching this? Because I don't get the feel as you're reading that and you're picturing that and you're you're combining it with what how many times they'd seen Jesus in those situations, and you don't get the feel that they're that they're saying, "Well, you can't arrest us. You have no right to do that. Don't you know who we are? Don't you don't you know what God is capable of? You know, you're going to be right. sorry that you did this to us." It's none of that. It is this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. And then when they say, okay, well, then don't just go and don't don't speak anymore, they respond, well, whether it's right to obey you or God, we'll let you be the judge. But we can only, like, we have no choice. We're compelled to speak of him. And and so they do. But there's this, there's a, you, you could just read that and you could read it with all kinds of different tones, but it matters, like the feel behind that you can, you can feel their, their unshakable peace, the mm-hmm. difference yeah. in education. Like these, they, it says they were, they could perceive that they're common uneducated men. Right. And yet they're, there's a, an awe of them. Like that's, what's so interesting. It wasn't, it wasn't James or it wasn't Peter and John's eloquent words or intellect that impressed the council. And that's not what got them to go or their, or their, um, display of power. It was, it was something supernatural that they couldn't, that they just, they, they couldn't articulate. Hmm. And I think that came from the, the peace. And that's that third dimension of like how, and we've always, we've seen that. Like you get two people who say the same thing to somebody but there's just a completely different feel between those two things. Hmm. You know, the teacher who confronts a student who's failing in their class can do that in one of two very different ways. Um, the parent who corrects a child 
who says like this is this is sin and me telling my my child this is unacceptable can happen in two very different ways in well more than two but there is a there's a third dimension it's not just the conclusion of this is wrong you don't talk back to your mom right and and then the way the Christ like way so i really appreciated you you clarifying that and saying okay it's we have to we have to remember that Jesus is who we're following, and it's it's not the law, because otherwise we just turn scripture into the law, and you see where that got the religious leaders. They could not have been further off base, right? And they knew it better than anybody. Well, and what what I love about your example of of the the apostles before the council is you you, you didn't even realize what a great example that was, Jay. It's even better than you well. Thought. <laughs> like, Are you affirming me? Right. <laughs> I am affirming the Holy Spirit in you, okay. reminding you that that's an awesome passage. I mean, it just, it circles back around to the the obedience and experience versus knowledge, right? Because they can know all day long, well, that's the right way to respond. But in doing that, in responding in that way, it says when they leave, after being beaten for for the second time that they're arrested, after they're beaten, it says when they leave, they're rejoicing, they're rejoicing that they got to suffer. They were they were allowed to suffer uh, f- dishonor for the name of Jesus, and so like they they get to experience the the beauty and the joy of God through that obedience in in a way that they would not have apart from that. If they had gone in, as you said, like defending their rights and we don't deserve this, they would not they would not have known Jesus more when they left that right because they would have they would have been handling it in their own way. And instead they leave rejoicing all the more because they see all the more the beauty of God, that his way actually is better. Yeah. Even if it's illogical at times. So good. Well, Hey, I don't want to, we're, we're running out of time. And I don't want to miss the awesome question we got. So do you want to share? We did get a good question. And I, and I even love the way it was, the way it was presented. So it, uh, so I got, I got an email that just says, uh, Robbie, you, you brought up, uh, the sword that Peter used on Sunday, and I and I use that as an example of of Jesus rebuking Peter for, um, for not listening to him, but but taking matters into his own hands. Um, and the so the question is, it says, I'm still a little unclear without digging in uh, more in researching. Why did Jesus tell the disciples in Luke 22 35 through 37 to sell their cloaks? to purchase swords at this stage, which, so this happens basically like 10 verses before the verse that I referenced. Um, Because he commands them to get weapons, it seems, so as to be numbered with the lawless. Um, So just just thought this was interesting and would love to hear your take on it. Um, So right out of the bat, what I love about this question is it's assuming obedience to Jesus. Right? It's saying, because I want to obey Jesus, what do we do with this particular command? Um, and the second thing that I love about how it's presented is the it seems. Right? So when we say, okay, it, it seems like he's commanding them to get weapons in there. And, and it does, it literally says, you know, sell your cloaks and, and go buy a sword. Um, and I, I, I appreciated the it seems. And any time we're reading scripture... Um, and, and we see, we come to something where we go, wait a minute, if I'm understanding this right, it seems like Jesus is contradicting basically everything that he has taught up until this point. 
that's a good moment to say, then maybe I'm not, I'm not interpreting this correctly, right? This is, this is worthy of digging into a little bit because, uh, because I, that, that requires some explanation. Do you have any thoughts? I agree so far. Okay. So what's the so far yeah. so good? So I'm waiting for the. You're waiting. Okay. So here here's my take, and you can you can push back. Oh, I will. As as you as you want, as aggressively as you see fit. Um, With a sword. So I had I had my particular understanding of this, and and I thought in order to, to honor the question, which specifically uh, asked for more digging and more researching, I I did that so that to to. First of all, make sure that I was not off base, um, and and I noticed I learned something incredibly striking. You you and I have joked about uh, our often oft frustration with commentaries and how yes. if you pick up five commentaries, you're going to get six interpretations of what that thing is, and and so it can often feel all over the map and feel unhelpful and confusing rather than. Helpful. Well, and to be clear, that's not about central. Tenants of the faith. No, no, no. Yeah, that's yeah, about. that's Just, typically about you know, you know peripheral right. things right. that we find confusing, but are not. About, yes. Yeah. Excellent clarification. Not. No one's confused in about whether Jesus is the way, or things of that nature. Um, at least, hopefully not. <laughs> if, if it is, if that is not in your commentary, you need new commentaries. Right. But, uh, so I so I dug in. I was like, okay. So what are the opposing views of this? And I and. And I kept getting the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And so I just kept digging, kept digging, kept digging. Ultimately, Jay ended up reading 24 different commentaries spanning 1,700 years of Christian history and, and a multitude of, of faith traditions. Um, and that's they it's sh- fairly extensive. They I mean, I feel sh- like you... I, I, I hope I did my due diligence in this. So I'm not going to say unequivocally nobody says this because you can always find somebody who says anything but in 24 commentaries over 1700 years they unanimously agreed that Jesus was clearly not actually wanting them to buy swords but was warning them of impending danger and so one one of the things that I think is important in pointing out is um, is that ob- taking Jesus literally and obeying his commands allows for word pictures Right? It allows for him to speak figuratively. And, and, and so when he says, you know, build your house on the rock, he is not commanding us that it is sinful to build your house on a pier and beam foundation, but only on rock, not concrete, only solid rock. Like, no, he's obviously using a word picture. Um, and the, I mean, this is common that the disciples misunderstand him, right? So, so when they go, hey, we've got, the, we've got two swords right here. Um, it's just another example of them misunderstanding him and taking him too literally, just like they did when they're in the boat and Jesus is warning them, don't, you know, beware, yeah, not don't, beware the, the leaven of the Pharisees. And they all respond, slight paraphrase, but, oh, you don't have to worry about that. We brought our own bread. And Jesus is like, what, are you kidding me? I'm not actually talking about real bread, guys. I'm talking about their teaching. Beware their teaching. But they they take him literally. And so in this passage, the, the, the reason there is, there's such unanimity is, is, is several reasons, a couple of them more obvious than others. One of the obvious ones is that, um, as I said before, it would contradict practically all of Jesus' teaching 
and literally everything that he modeled up until that point to say, now it's time for us to take arms. That would contradict so much of his teaching that, that it, you, can't, you can't fit that in within, certainly within the Sermon on the Mount or anything else that he said or modeled. Um, and then we barely make it two paragraphs before Jesus sternly rebukes them for using swords. So he highlights that the apostles misinterpreted him in thinking that he was being literal um, o- almost immediately. Like we don't even, in most Bibles, you don't even get to flip the page before Jesus says, no, I don't actually want you to use swords. Like that's not the point that I was making. And then the less obvious, one of the less obvious reasons is that passage ends with Jesus saying, it is enough. And so he, he says, the last time I sent you guys out, I told you don't take anything, but now I'm telling you be prepared. Um, and he says, you should, you should sell your clothes and buy a sword, which that in and of itself is a little hyperbolic statement, right? Sell all your clothes and use it to buy swords seems right. hyperbolic, right? So that doesn't seem like he actually wants them to run around naked with swords, but um, it turns out they're in the same page. There ends up being a naked guy running around. So that's a fun fact. We might need to edit that part out. Um, <laughs> Or read the gospel. That's well, really in it, it. It could be someone taking him literally. Right. Like, it might be I another guy who's it. like, I did. I just sold all my clothes. I came back with my sword. Uh, that actually, I holy know, smokes, right? that actually <laughs> makes a little bit of sense. I've always wondered why that guy was yeah, in there. I, I, me too. But whereas oh you're saying that, I'm like, oh, what if he took blew him? my mind. <laughs> someone else took him, him too literally. Um, no, but what, what is happening there? It says it is, and when they say, hey, well, we've got two swords, and he says it is enough. That, that feels like an awkward response, and it's awkward because it's, the, it's translated literally in there. All, what he says is, it is enough. What he's not saying is, two swords will be sufficient, right? Two swords are enough. That, for, for a half a dozen reasons, uh, that's not, that can't be what he's saying in there, both because it, it doesn't really fit within the context in the Greek, um, but also because he would be wrong, because there's a small army that's coming around the corner, and so two swords for 12 guys against a crowd with swords and clubs and a band of soldiers is clearly not sufficient. So it's more appropriate to understand that when he says it is enough, that it's almost in, almost in exasperation, in a sense, of him saying enough, like en- stop talking about this. They're, he, they're so misin, he's so taken aback by them misinterpreting him and taking him literally that Jesus cuts them off because they don't have time to waste because Judas is literally around the corner. Um, Which is similar, by the way, he does that when it comes to prayer. Like when they, yes. they ask them to pray, they can't, they keep falling asleep. And essentially he's like, all right, forget it. That's ex- the ex- exact it's, same phrase, right? Yeah. He comes back to them and says, enough, get up already. Yep. Like let's, they're, they're coming. It's and the exact same phrase in the Greek. And he's not saying, oh, you guys have prayed he, enough. Exactly. Excellent job. He said, just stop it already. Right. Yeah. It wasn't an affirmation. It was not a like that. Oh yeah. You've done well. So let's, let's move on to the next task. It was like, forget it. We got to ditch this and we're moving on. No. Yes. And, and then, and then on top of that, you have the entire book of Acts, which no, there's not a single bit of evidence that no. any believer is taking up arms against their adversaries at any point. What we see is what you described, is them 
them taking every other teaching of Jesus literally. Peter, after being rebuked, goes, oh, gotcha. You didn't mean literal swords. You meant we need to be prepared for for opposition and for persecution. Um, And then that is how he lives the rest of his life up until his own martyrdom. And and that's what we see uh, as the example of every other believer throughout, throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Well, I, I think this brings – it brings up – we don't have time to go. Maybe this will be for another podcast, but it brings up a just a really good moment to stress the caution when proof texting. So proof texting is yeah, – you know, important. and I use, use a scripture, like a verse or a passage to prove the statement that I'm making as evidence for the statement that I'm making. And, and contrary to – to popular opinion and even what I used to think, I always used to think proof texting kind of has this negative connotation and it's always negative. Well, it's not always negative. There's good proof texting and there's bad proof texting. And um, good proof texting is found in examples like uh, we were talking about this earlier, that if somebody needed wanted to know, well, how do I know that God loves me? How do I know if I want to make a statement that God loves you no matter what? I may go to Romans 5.8 that God shows demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us as a proof text for making the point or making the the statement that yep. God loves you even in the midst of your sin, no matter what, God loves you. Right. But that's that's good proof texting because that that verse is in a context that is talking about the whole point of that passage is contrasting the love of humans with the love of God. So yeah. it's saying would, would somebody die for someone else? Maybe for a good man. Maybe in that situation, one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's the point of that passage. Also, it's backed up by umpteen million other verses and passages and interactions that display and demonstrate the love of God, how he loved us, he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Um, God so loved the world that, I mean, there's just constant over and over and over again um, that we can demonstrate that. So that that is a good form. Bad proof texting almost always, and this was one of the key points of, of your sermon, Robbie, this past weekend, was if I start with something that seems reasonable to me and now I go and try to find a verse to justify um, that could possibly defend or justify the point of view that I have already formed in my own mind with my own reason. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm trying, not trying to interrupt. Are you mocking me? No, I, just, no, no, I, just, I, I think I just, you're so right. That's so, it's exactly what we do. That's exactly how we approach that. I would never articulate it no. like that, but that's exactly what I'm doing. Well, of course, just, you're nicer than I am. I, starting, no, no, no. I mean, I, I mean, in my own heart, yeah, as right. I'm doing that, right, I'm, right, not, right, right. I'm, no, I'm not opening up the Bible and going, well, I've already made my mind up, so how do right. I find the verse that's going to prove that? But in reality, that is exactly what's doing because I'm going to, every time I see a verse that contradicts my thought, I go, oh, nope, not that one, and flip past the page until I find the one that sounds like it agrees with me. Right. And and it's we're most susceptible, honestly, to that with Bible teachers, which is why there are huge warnings against not many should want to be desired to be teachers. Like there's a higher accountability because we have to be very careful as Bible teachers to not do that. Because then people, because uh, I and I've heard people misuse that passage, and you could be listening to a teacher that says, "Well, so yeah, like it's good for us to arm ourselves or to use um, 
to use that phrase from Jesus to defend uh, the Second Amendment. It has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. Either way, like I'm not making a stance on the Second Amendment. Either way, that's not my point. My point is that that's not what Jesus is talking about. And so if you use it, you're actually misusing it, and that is a way to destroy and to lead people astray. And that's that's what Scripture talks about, that if you're going to be a teacher, then you better know that, that that's the kind of standard that you're being held to, and there's harsh judgment for, for those who would misuse that. It's terrifying to me. Whenever yes. I'm teaching a passage, I think, oh, my goodness, I got to make sure that I'm being honest to the text and, and not using this to just fill my own agenda. But it's not always so nefarious to use a term you used earlier. So now if somebody needs to look that up, now they can look it up twice. Um, but it's not so not so mean-spirited or evil in, in, in intentions. It can just be like this. This just seems reasonable. It just seems reasonable to me that we should be able to do this. And so therefore – I read that and think, well, see, there, Jesus agrees with me. Right. That you see that happen in anger a lot. Like I hear a lot of times people say, like if they're if they have anger, and they say, well, anger is not a sin, because look, Jesus got angry. Well, yeah, but that's not actually what what your anger is about. Right. It actually has nothing to do with it. Um, there's far more that he would be speaking to your your nature and your demeanor right now. Um, that actually has nothing to do with him turning over tables in the temple. And, yeah. and so we just want to be cautious of that. Just be cautious that if you are – like, be mindful. Am I am I trying to support my own view, my own idea, and, and this is something that I already – and just understand that we're most susceptible in the areas that we want to be true. I know that sounds obvious, but you're probably a little more guarded – I, I'm not as likely to do this in an area that um, I don't like. So um, if I'm proof texting about suffering, I don't especially enjoy getting to passages where it talks about how I'm going to suffer. Right. It's not something that I am really aspiring to. Um, and so I'm probably not probably not um, proof texting that in a bad way so much. Like I'm not I'm not using that just to to establish like well, what I really want to do is I want to suffer. So where can I find something about that and use that? Um, but it's going to be in things that appeal to my flesh. Right. So we say things like, well, Jesus, they, they don't say it's a sin. Um, I remember that with Ananias and Sapphira, um, you know, selling the property or whatever. Well, Paul, you know, or the, the apostles, not Paul, the apostles, are, they don't, the, the sin was that they lied about it. It wasn't that they didn't give everything. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, okay. But that's not really like if you, you, to use that as a, therefore, it's fine. I can do whatever I want with my own property. It all belongs to me, and I can choose what I want to do with it. That's kind of a stretch. Yeah. Like, um, Partic Particularly yeah. since the rest of the New Testament will contradict that. Correct. So to, to your point of, of is, is that, am I using that text? Uh, you, you actually helped me clarify in that in your, in your description. What I, what I wrote down is... The difference between a thesis statement and a lone example. Hmm. So if my if my proof text is I'm using this one verse to represent a teaching that is that is throughout the entirety of Scripture, or at least the New Testament or the Gospels, or is consistent with all of Jesus' teaching, and rather than giving you all sixty verses, I'm summing it up in this one, it's like a right. thesis statement. Right. Versus this is the only verse that says this. 
it may or may not actually be what it means in that context, but I'm, I'm clinging to that and applying it to this situation in order to strengthen my argument. That's bad proof texting. And, and to your other point that you made, I think it's really important for us to address you, you saying we start with what is reasonable to us and, and then begin to look for the scripture that, that affirms that. And the, the problem is we have to at some point acknowledge that much of what Jesus commands us is, from an earthly standpoint, unreasonable. Yeah. That's yeah. why we can't rely on reason, because Scripture is also full of examples of how our reason is flawed and broken and limited, and that it is undependable. So when Jesus says, if someone strikes you, not only do you not strike them back, you turn the other cheek and allow them to strike you again. If someone tries to steal your jacket, not only do you let them, you ask if they, you, they would like your shirt also. And we go, well, that's not reasonable. Like, I can't do that. And that, that's where, as I was bringing it up on Sunday, that's the point where we have to say, so, so is your argument, well, obviously I need to make up for Jesus' insufficient logic. Jesus obviously doesn't know how this works, otherwise he wouldn't make such an unreasonable statement or do we start with the premise that Jesus is actually the only true realist in all of history? He is the only one who actually knows exactly how all of this works right. and is not giving us one option to consider, but saying, no, 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 this is how it actually works. This is, this is how you thrive in this. And, and that my opinion, when it differs from Jesus, is unequivocally wrong and less reasonable. Right. And I, I do think much like the affirmation conversation, it would be a mistake then to conclude, well, so then are you saying we don't use any reason that we're just supposed to go through right. and no, but I would argue that it's, it's redeemed reason. Yes. Uh, it's, and, yes. He and, gave us the minds to use, right. but he doesn't give us the minds to use to supersede him. That's, that's where C.S. Lewis says, right. that's the point where you, you end up cutting off the limb that you're sitting on yes. by saying, this tool that he has given me to lead me to him, I'm going to misuse in order to convince myself I don't need him. Well, then I, I cut off the limb that I'm sitting on. And we're prone to do that because sin. Sin infects right. everything. It affects our minds. It affects our reason. And redeemed reason is biblical wisdom. So when we talk about yep. godly yep. wisdom, well, godly wisdom is essentially, it's just my reason being redeemed with with the knowledge of who God is and with the experience of him and with the transformed heart and all of those things coming together, well, now my reason is, is more and more trustworthy, but only to the extent in which it is being conformed to the image of Christ mm. and his Good. reason. Because there is, the, I mean, I'm sure, Robbie, you've had moments, I know there have been many times, things that I've read in scripture and seen Jesus say things and been very confused by it and thought, man, that doesn't seem very reasonable. Yeah. But as I've matured in my faith, it has become more reasonable to me. It makes much more sense. And right. and that's that's because of the work of the Holy Spirit redeeming my mind and transforming and renewing my mind. Um, not because I've gotten smarter in that, but because he's he's redeemed me. So I think that's super important. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's it is we, we pit it as, well, it's using my mind versus abandoning all intellect. When that's not the dichotomy, no. it's, it's am I, is the basis of my reason earthly or is the basis of my 
reason a kingdom. Because if my basis is the spirit rather than the flesh, then I read things like loving your enemies. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that becomes the only logical response because the opposite is, well, well, obviously it doesn't make sense that I could only defeat evil by using evil. Like right. that's illogical. So it would then therefore make perfect logical sense. And the most reasonable thing is, well, you can only defeat evil with good, with love, right? So, so now suddenly this thing that felt so unreasonable, I realize, well, the problem is because I was, I was working with, with the wrong software, right? I, I right. started with the wrong foundational premise of, well, since man is the measure of all things, obviously, dot, 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 rather than, well, since Jesus is the measure of all things, therefore, dot, dot, dot. And, and that's what makes the news good. Like, it's good news to us because, for example, loving our enemies makes sense once we see the beauty of how God loved us while we were his enemies. Mm. And so we've mentioned that many times before. It won't make any sense until you see it as as such a good thing mm. that it is possible for good to overcome evil because then good can overcome evil in my life. It's possible that good can love that that God can love his enemies because I was his enemy. And that means he can redeem me and he can love me still. If we lose that, if, if we stick with what is rational, fleshly wisdom of, no, I hate my enemies, well, then we have no hope in the gospel once we realize that right. we are enemies of God. So I think it comes, it comes back to that. But all of that then becomes a re, uh, that is the transforming and the renewing of our minds. And so I would just encourage people to do that. Don't, don't just take scripture and put it through fleshly sinful reason because as we've seen satan can do that really well and manipulate it we you talked about it in your sermon that people can study the scriptures and do the same thing with it but to understand if your desire is to obey jesus then you have to think about scripture with the mind of christ which is offered to you through the power of the holy spirit anything else and you're going to you're going to constantly be going off off target and off track and Dude, so yeah uh, you're you're right man and I, I and i feel like i need to just just to clarify in case somebody has the wrong impression i want to end by saying i love the bible right i i cannot possibly <laughs> oh. more firmly and emphatically encourage anyone who's listening right now to Deeply love scripture, Dis meditate on it, study it, learn everything that you can learn in scripture. The Bible is a extraordinary gift that is given to us. And, but because it is not that I, it is not because I devalue it, but because I value it so highly that I want to heed its warnings that it is only a means and not the end itself, that, that the Bible is a means to direct us to Jesus. Jesus is the end. The triune God of the universe is the end. The Bible is the means by which, or what a means by which we, we know him better and, and, uh, and learn more about him. Um, and so that's why it is absolutely so essential that we, that we just soak ourselves in the word. 
but to understand it is not in and of itself the end. Jesus must always be the end. Amen to that. I think we should wrap this up. Probably a good idea. This, this is our longest podcast ever. That needs to be the title. I think it should be. So thank you for uh, listening. If you have any questions, please, again, we love receiving these questions and um, we will we will honor them and Robbie going through, I cannot promise that I will go through 1700 years of church histories and commentaries. Um, I will do 1900. And uh, just because <laughs> well, I'm, well played. I'm a giver. Well played. And uh, so, <laughs> but we do love getting those questions and they can be about anything. They don't have to be about the sermon. If you have questions about other things, we can, uh, we would be happy to deal with those and, and have these conversations and, and our desires to just kind of model what does it look like to talk through these things and to think through them. And hopefully, hopefully it is helpful to you. So with that, uh, we will catch you next time. Yeah.